0: Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for episode 6 of The Green Life. Today's guest is, wow, Dr. Henry Ely is the most amazing speaker, person, lecturer, but more than that, is a modern day superhero. Dr. Ely is the founder and executive community director for the Energetic Health Institute. He holds a doctorate in naturopathic medicine from SCNM, a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from UCLA, is board certified in holistic nutrition by the NANP. He has over 20 years of teaching and clinical experience, helping people care for their amazing body by unlocking the healing potential of natural medicine. However, Dr. H did not take a straight path to healthcare. He took a little detour into data analysis at the International Space Station before becoming a naturopathic doctor. Turns out the skills he learned there came quite helpful now as he's fighting against misinformation and data corruption of the COVID crisis. Dr. H hosts a weekly nationwide program called Energetic Health Radio on the American Out Loud Network. And that's where he details the latest empirical evidence and research regarding COVID. He's super, amazing and this volunteering work that he's doing with data has become a full-time job but he's really committed to make sure that truth is exposed i cannot wait for you to listen to him he is amazing welcome dr healy thank you so much for joining me today on the green life podcast it's such an honor to have you here how are you
1: i'm doing great thank you for having me chantal
0: my pleasure i am so excited about having you here because i've been following you for a little while and um i have dug into you what you do your work and so but a lot of people might not know what you're doing so we're gonna go into all of that today and i'd like you to just give us a little intro about your very fascinating background because you went from studying engineering into healthcare uh into becoming a naturopath and um I just love that journey. Can you take us a little bit through
1: that? I think for the first thing, I started out as a fool. Okay. And, you know, the universe and God have a good way of knocking in the head a couple of times, you know, to get you back on the right path. Um, and with a lot of people who um, never gave up on me and invested a lot of love into me, I was able to right the ship and uh, and and be of some use in this world. And, the things that I, I gravitated to, um, in, you know, when I was younger was uh, engineering and data analysis. And I used to be a computer programmer. I used to work on uh, the actually the International Space Station. And uh, that's where I cut my teeth with uh, data analysis and things like that, you know. Um, so that was really I didn't know that that was going to be a big part of my life. But I'm glad that I had that experience. You know, mm-hmm. that's the fun part about life. You never know where it's going to take you. Um, after uh, that, though, I, I fell in love with natural medicine. I, I remember the day that I went to my first open house at a little small massage school in Santa Monica, California, and I saw um, Ingrid Martinson uh, doing a um, shiatsu massage. And I saw the pleasure that she was giving, uh, the healing that she was giving to the person receiving it. And I was like, I want to learn how to do that. you know, and it it just started a lifelong love affair uh, with health and the human body. And I think it's so um, important now because we're we're seeing that people who are sick are on the precipice of being put into slavery in some form, might be by a different name, but let's not call, let's not kid ourselves. It's slavery. It's slavery Mm -hmm. to the pharmaceutical industry and to public health now and all this other stuff. But that when you are healthy, truly healthy, producing energy, that you're free. And that's what I like to do. I tell folks that I teach people how to love themselves. I just happen to use natural medicine with it, you know, and I think when you learn how to love yourself in a really beautiful way, not an egotistical way, but just a really benevolent way, what happens is you start seeing the joy of selflessness and you start taking less offense and you enjoy the pursuit of truth. And and I think it's very easy to remain humble because there's such an incredible experience we have when we help each other and we get to see the light bulbs Go on in each other. You know, you get to see someone who went from a depressed and diseased state into they have hope in their eyes. They have that that light, that spark, comes back on. So that that does it for me every single time. And um, what ended up happening was uh, I went to medical school. Uh, I went from this really great experience at this little small school. We had we had Ph.D. biochemists teaching us, and acupuncturists, and people like that. It was it was a perfect convergence. Like it, you know, you can. You know, when you feel blessed, I was in the right spot at the exact mm. right time. And that's not by accident either. Um, but then I went to medical school and had some great experiences there, great friends, great mentors, but also some bad experiences. And it was very easy to see that the allopathic world was trying to infiltrate the natural world and take it over and tell it what to do and create this uh, complex where the natural world was like, well, can we, we have to ask for permission from big brother to do things. And I was like, what we do is awesome. What we do works. We don't need to be secondary citizens to anybody Mm -hmm. here, you know? Um, And there are places where we can integrate our work and collaborate. And I'm all for that, but you know, we're not second fiddle to anyone. And I, I never subscribed to that. And it, 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 It'll make me real itchy real quick when people start acting like, "Well, you're a naturopathic doctor, so let me pat you on the head and you can take a little seat over there." Uh, uh-uh. I don't take a back seat to anybody. I I know what I do. I've seen our work heal cancer. I've seen our work take people from death's doorstep back into beautiful states of vibrant, energetic health. Uh, uh-uh. I haven't seen your work do that, you know. So, um, so I, I'll put us I'll put us up against anybody when it's done right. It's got to be done right. But um, the thing I love about what we do is, at the foundation of it all, is we care. Mm-hmm. The foundation is we care about each other, and it's very open. You know, they they want to create this professional distance from people. No, this experience is about being woven into the fabric of everybody's lives, right? So you have to open yourself up to be vulnerable to that experience because that's where the beauty and the blessing is going to come in for you as well. That's there's as much medicine in belief as there is in any capsule and any food you're going to take. So it's an it's an essential ingredient to the whole process. So um you know I, I went out and got into clinical practice and, and was helping people, you know, being blessed to help people. And you know, of course your patients teach you a lot. And I was teaching at the same time at a couple of schools. He was teaching I was one of the few nature paths that's actually taught at the university level. Uh, and you know you you start getting this sense that education is the way, you know you, I can, I can help people one at a time. And I still do that. And I'm really excited about a project we're about to start up with some of the um, children who are um, injured by the, the shots, you know, we're going to help them. Um, And, but you know, you, you go, if I'm working one person at a time, I'm going to get to that one person. I got to get to more people. We got to, we have to teach people how to love themselves. Right. So we developed the Energetic Health Institute. We've been uh, running for and growing for nine years. Uh, we don't owe anybody anything. We're a nonprofit. We've never taken a penny from the government. We've never taken a penny in the loan. We just do good work. And it's a, it's a place where we espouse the values of, um, of family, I think more than anything else and especially the Aloha spirit. I love, I love that Polynesian concept. And so we brought it in and we, we talk about it very openly with everyone. You come in to the Energetic Health Institute, you come coming into a family, you come coming into people who care about you. And yeah, you might take the scenic route to get to graduation. We have quite a few that do it, but that's all right. That's life, you know, and, and and the experiences of life don't need to be punitive. It's about growth. And I think when you talk about growth, it's about being around people who've been there before so they can help you avoid some of the pitfalls, but it's about, also about, um, it's, it's really about you taking this opportunity to earn a new version of yourself. So we don't give anything away. You put the work in and you have people caring about you, loving you, helping you along the way. And if you're already passionate about the subject, it makes it even easier. But what we do that's really special at, at EHI is you learn by doing. So even though it's online and we have students all over the world, you get to experience the feeling of health of truly energetic health. And you get to see how it helps to reverse disease processes and take you to another thing. The big problem I have with allopathic medicine is their base model, their base philosophy is health is the absence of disease that's nonsense. Just, you know, health is much more than that. And so we have to strive bigger, dream bigger, you know? And I think when you do that, um, you start setting um, noble goals. You start setting goals of integrity, but along the way, you know, the thing I love seeing is just the joy that gets created in people and in, in these shared experiences of healing of not suffering, but of healing, right? Cause you bring that in and you got hope floating and boy, you have an opportunity to do something special in this world, um, make this world just an amazing place for everyone. And to me, there's nothing worth doing, especially with all this darkness upon us. We have to be the light, you know? So we, what we do is we teach people how to be the light and be unapologetic about at the same time. I'm never going to apologize for being a good person. I'm never going to ask permission to help. That's just not my way. So, well, you can tell we're a little ornery too, but you know, you need that a little bit because we're bringing some goodness into the world.
0: You do and I, I guess also you're, you're also fighting against a system that has been trying to suppress was what, what was originally the way of um, doing medicine because it's only in the 1920s I was talking to the wonderful Dr. Northrop last week, and she yeah. was saying, you know l- it, up to 1920s when the you know the Rockefellers and Rothschild uh, the usual suspect started taking control. that's fine I uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt.
2: Yeah.
0: I'll probably get asked from Amazon and Google. Um, right, Sp- right. Spotify is pretty cool. They might leave me there with these little hits. Um, but basically, you know, how everything has been really uh, taken away because of the control and where does it come from? So it's a very, what you're doing, it's also great because as you said, you don't take money from anybody. Nobody can tell you what to teach because you're teaching truth. And that is just the best curriculum you could ever offer to anybody you know it's um it's fantastic and then about what you said um i i you know i tuned in when you said the what allopathic medicine thinks the health is the absence of disease from what um i've been researching for years i think it's more like the masking of um of the symptoms um, not so much the absence of disease so its more like let 's cover up the symptoms and make people feel like they 're healthy when they 're not so you know it's um, it 's deep and rooted in where does health come from and I was watching one of your presentations and um, I loved uh, you were talking about the mitochondria, which is a subject that i 'm really interested in, and you mentioned um, you mentioned the the energy that that we call atp is actually the same as chi uh, and prana like, i have never heard anybody talk about energy in the in cellular health in cellular biology at that in that way where i mean you just brought it all together can you just take me a little bit deeper into that
1: of course, let me let me, there's a couple I, I, you you said some beautiful things I wanted to to comment on them and then i'll I'll jump in next. because mm-hmm. we actually have a, a paradigm, a teaching concept that we we do and it's the central the foundational teaching concept. Um, you know, first and foremost, we all have that we all can make the choice to fight against things, right? That's so training. We don't fight against anything. I don't fight against anything. I fight for
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And I think what you find is when you shift that little bit of thought and you fight for, I'm fighting for these children. I'm fighting for our elders that are forced to die alone. I'm fighting for health freedom. I'm fighting for future generations. I'm fighting for my family. You find that you tap into a bottomless well of energy, right? It's the fight against that get us down and get us outraged and and get us into being offended and all that other stuff. And look, I'm not, I'm a human, you know, I'm, I'm plenty pissed about what's going on, but it's how I decided to direct that frustration, that anger, that despair at times. Do I want to direct it into a positive action? Cause we always have this choice and what they're trying to lead us into is an acceptance of victimhood. Mm. And one of the most dangerous things you can do in your life is to enter into victimhood and accept it as an identity, because the second you do, you've entered yourself into a prison that could keep you trapped in a situation for the rest of your life that prevents you from growing into your full potential. Mm. You cannot grow and feel like you are a victim at the same time. It cannot happen. This is by, they're they're really good at this. This is a beautiful psychological. It just makes you go, you guys are so good at this. Imagine if you did good with this thing that you can do, right? I mean, because you could heal the world. We could have the whole world healed. We destroyed the world in basically two years. You could heal the world in probably less than that. That's amazing. What a potential, right? And I also wanted to give everybody this allopathic definition before I get into, and and we'll use this as a comparative, the original definition of allopathic medicine, um, which is conventional medicine, MDs, stuff like that is the attempt to cure. This is out of Tabor's medical dictionary, the attempt to cure by replacing one morbid condition with another morbid condition. (laughs) Now, most people like I don't want any morbid conditions, yeah. right? So they said, "Well, we have to be more clever." And this is where the Rockefellers and and uh, Rothschilds and you know come in, and they do the Flexner report that puts basically natural medicine, naturopathic medicine, on the extinction list. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they changed that word to side effect. Yeah, replacement of one symptom for a side effect, mm. right? And so it be, so, and when you start repeating a lie enough, people start accepting it as truth. People say that, well, all medicines have side effects. Yeah. Well, the side effect of the medicine I practice is you feel awesome. All right. <laughs> so if you want to look at it like that, sure. Okay. The side effect of my medicine is that, you know, your pee gets really bright and colorful because you got nutrients all over the place flowing through your bloodstream. So yeah, I guess there's side of, we all have side effects, but you see, this is, this is the mind, this, they, they. They infect the mind with lies, Mm. you know, and what I've been telling people that have, you know, started waking up and they start feeling guilty, you know, I got the shot or, you know, whatever. Say, listen, you can't, you cannot do that to yourself. These are the greatest liars who have ever lived and they have the greatest technology to assist their lying and greatest control over the mechanisms of distribution of information that have ever existed. Mm-hmm. Now you have to give yourself some grace on this, because if you didn't know what was going on leading up to this, if you hadn't had a bad experience, like most of us, we've had a bad experience. That's what woke us up. This is your bad experience and it sucks. So we're going to help, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's where we come in as this whole nonsense of, People who are are have refused the shots like I have, and you know, judging the people who took it or saying, no, I don't want to talk with you or anything. Get out of my face with that stuff. I didn't care if you got the flu shot. I don't care if you get this one. I care yeah. if you're hurt because I want to help you. Right. And and I hope you care that I want to be free and don't want to go through what you went through with that. Mm-hmm. But um, at the school, uh, we have a found we we have teaching concepts, right? Because the, the main thing I think that's important. In, in education is to teach people how to think,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not what to think. I'm, I'm here to help you explore the direction and path that your heart is guiding you through. And so that means I, w- I want to help you become a critical thinker and a good observer and, and, of course, someone who loves themselves and cares about others, right? I mean, this is these are the things that make the world a better place. So we have a foundational concept called the cycle of influencing energy. And it's got five points to it. So imagine a circle and there's five little stop points on it. The top is emotion. See, emotion is something we all have a PhD in. And emotion, based upon the energetic systems of Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, equate to health, right? And this is the big thing that the Rockefellers and those folks didn't want people to know. They wanted to disassociate those things and segment them. And it's like, no, you can't segment the body. It's an interrelated system. It needs each other. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand how it's connected. So emotion influences anatomy, right? When you're happy, you smile. When you're upset, your face changes. It's emotion influences anatomy. And of course, there's other physical changes that go on, but just a simple example.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Anatomy influences physiology. And that's how the systems of your body, the cardiovascular system, the immune system, they function. Physiology influences biochemistry, and that's what's happening at the cell level, and particularly with the production of energy, metabolism, detoxification, and cell replication. And then biochemistry influences energy production, influences the flow of energy through the chakras, through the meridian fields.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: that—that's that cool thing. See, that's the thing the Chinese figured out in their in their medical system, and the Ayurvedics figured out, and the Taoists figured out. Um, uh, you know, these elevated consciousness societies figured out that there's energy flowing and then i could read that flow of energy if i understand the physical body but especially if i understand emotion so you go from biochemistry to energetics and energetics back to emotion so it's full circle and the thing about this paradigm this we call the cycle of influencing energy it's in my book energetic health volume one um, which is on Amazon. Sadly, I'm not proud about that at all. Um, but
0: easiest way though to get it.
1: Yeah. And we got to get information yeah. out. You got it. You know,
0: yeah.
1: if I can use the if I can use, can I say this? If I can use the <laughs> devil, I will. If I can use the devil for good. I will. Right. Um, so right. So um, <laughs> I, they are going to come after me, but whatever. Right. Whatever. So um, when you look at this paradigm, right, it gives you an understanding that of how things are connected, and it's not saying anything is good or bad. It's your understanding of how you have way more influence and control over your health than anyone has ever taught you in the past. And what it does is it allows us to get into a conversation of, okay, well, if I'm looking at this from a biochemical perspective, adenosine five prime triphosphate, ATP, the energy molecule, right? But if I'm looking at this from an energetic standpoint. It's, Oh, that's Chi that's Prama Prana. If you want to talk about star Wars, it's the force, right? It's not an accident. Lucas actually studied this. And that's what he was talking about with Yoda and everything. And metachlorian counts. That's mitochondria counts, Mm -hmm. right? That's where he got it. And he was just like, yeah, if you're producing more energy, you can manipulate the other energies and frequencies around you. It actually makes a lot of sense. Right.
2: Um,
1: So you know, but you know, what's the highest frequency we can be at? What's the, what's the emotion that emits the highest frequency we can exist at? For me, it's, I've never experienced a, a frequency higher than love. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, how do we help people get into that state of being and maintain their presence in that state? Cause everybody can have fleeting moments, but what if you had full control to be able to manifest love at a beckoning call? You know, and and decide when you want to go back there because you know we slip out sometimes when we get watch too much TV or something. <laughs> and it's like, well, can I put myself back into that loving mode within a breath, within two breaths, within three breaths? Well, the answer is yes, you can if you are practicing a lifestyle that is supporting how your body is designed to um, to heal and to express health, and that's what basically energetic health is all about.
0: Yeah, it makes total sense. And I I've been looking into scriptures outside the Bible. I get, I get crucified mm-hmm. by the Christians, but um, I I find this knowledge, you know. Crucified that- by
1: the Christians.
2: <laughs> <Not> ironic,
0: <right? laughs> I know, right? And yeah. um, and everything you, you talk about, these energetic points, the way that the body works and it's aligned, it, it all comes from the most high. He designed it that way. He designed nature to be attuned to us. So it makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense that we tap into these energy points the way that you described because nature works exactly the same way. When you look at the way that the network of trees, the um, the myosystem, you know, like all the fungi, everything is connected. The, the animals yes. they're not disconnected at all. They all tap into each other's energy points, and this is what we are meant to be part of that. But we're so disconnected from it at this point that. I think also that contributes to us creating disease into our body because we are not connected to, we are unplugged from that pure energy that human can never replicate, you know, nature.
1: Consider this thought. It's impossible to be disconnected from this. Just consider that thought for a second. Hmm. Okay. And I'm going to give an example. My personal theory is that cancer is um, a blessing. Now, not saying that the diagnosis isn't heavy and and scary, but I'm saying it's a blessing. And I say it for this reason, without your cells ability to adapt in an even negative way or a a unproductive way for the promotion of health, if the cells didn't have that ability, they would die instantly. And Mm -hmm. so you wouldn't have the even opportunity or time to try and resolve and fix why the cells did it in the first place. And, And it allows us to look at things you know from a just a little different perspective you know um and what that does that little shift in perspective changes how the autonomic nervous system performs in the body whether or not you're going to go into fight or flight mode or whether you're going to go into rest and digest mode see when you study the body and i you know i Instead of going to clubs when I first got into this and going, hanging out with my buddies and, and you know, going to bars and stuff like that, I was sitting at um, Manny's, it's, I don't even know if it's there anymore, Manny's Bakery in Los Angeles, California on um, Fairfax and Sixth Street. And I would just sit there at night reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. And my favorite book was actually Netter's Atlas of Human Anatomy. I would just look at that. And, it you know, if you just look long enough, it starts teaching you things. But if you get into this exploration of how your body is designed, like, it, it you know, Chantel, it, it drives me crazy. I ask people one of my first questions sometimes when I go into lectures is, okay, everybody point to your liver. And you'll see people going, it's like, okay, so you don't even know where your liver is and we want to talk about health. Okay, let's, let's start with the, let's start with where things are. Because, you know, people are like, oh, my tummy hurts. That's your liver. <laughs> You know that's not your tummy you know um and you see people put their right hand over their heart when they're um, saying the pledge of allegiance or something like that right and their hand will be over here on their shoulder right and it's like um we we have done a horrific job and by design
2: mm-hmm.
1: of teaching people how incredibly amazing their body is because when you teach people how incredibly amazing their body is the there's two things that occur one is that people will start thinking I'm pretty amazing and that's a fact you are. Mm -hmm. But number two, they start taking ownership over care of this gift they've been given,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, but when people don't know where their liver is, don't know where their heart is, let alone what it does, let alone what you can do to nourish it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then they're fed the lie of, well, when, as you age, you're just going to get old and you're going to have to be put on medications and, you're going to, you know, and now it's like, now what they're doing is trying to accelerate the acceptance of when the medical intervention is necessary. And that's why you see the billboards of the kids. Oh, we didn't realize this was going on for years, but so many kids have myocarditis now. Um, yes. So many kids have, have heart trouble. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, right? But mm-hmm. it's a, it's a psychological game. So a lot of people are saying, yeah, well, where's the exit door? How do I, how do I, the exit door is you taking personal ownership, and investment in your health. There is no one on this planet who's responsible for your health except you, period, end of story. Of course, there are other situations where you're taking care of a family member who's incapacitated and they're dependent upon you. But when you're talking about a general sense of things, the notion that you have a duty to get a shot that is an experiment to protect your neighbor is preposterous. If you protect your neighbor best by being healthy, because now you are no longer susceptible to a bioweapon, man-made bioweapon or anything else, and therefore you are not going to be a vector, a host for that disease. And if, you, and if it does infect you, it'll be very short-lived and you will recover. Mm-hmm. It's not an accident that the people who have the worst symptom severity have to be hospitalized and unfortunately succumb all have the same characteristics. Overweight, multiple comorbidities, which tells us point blank, they are severely nutrient deficient. And I'm sure there's other lifestyle things and they're probably activity deficient and sleep deficient and joy and happiness deficient and good food deficient, good, clean, organic, biodynamic, regenerative ag, food deficient. And, you know, when you start putting all these deficiencies together, the effect upon the nervous system is it activates the fight or flight nervous system. So people stay in a constant state of stress. Well, that's not how the body was designed to operate. The body was designed to operate in parasympathetic rest and digest mode for 23.5 hours of the day. The sympathetic was there just to quick shocks, quick shocks. Oh, hey, you got to get away of that bus. Get out of the way. Tyrannosaurus Rex is chasing you down. Get to (laughs) safety, right? And then chill. How do we know this? Because every single person on this planet enjoys love. Every single person on this planet enjoys music. Every single person on this planet enjoys Laughter. Every single person enjoys the things that engage the parasympathetic nervous system, Mm. the rest and digest. And what also engages it being nutrient dense, eating good, alkalizing foods, foods that have a net effect of creating alkalinity and balance in the body. And that's of course, organic plant-based nutrition. So that's what we teach because that's the best entry point for a person to explore what it means to love themselves, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, totally. So how many courses um, do you have in your school?
1: Well, we have um, our flagship program is our holistic nutrition certification. There's nine courses in it. Um, uh, we, We start with foundations of health. So we know we go through the building blocks, right? You know, carbohydrates and everything, but we do it from a different perspective, right? We don't just regurgitate the nonsense that's out there. It's like, no, let's actually teach you how this works. And we get into herbology in that, um, in that coursework, we also get into delayed food allergies. You know, we Mm -hmm. teach people that, Hey, you might be eating something that, yeah, it's very healthy for most people, but for you, it's actually injurious. Your immune system doesn't like it. Um, and it's a very important thing to figure out because food can be medicine, but foods can also be poison to the body too. It just, and this is biochemical or, you know, uh, individuality that we need to make sure we honor right where, where there is no such thing in this world as one size fits all that's ridiculous yeah. right it just there's no scenario where that that's true um maybe love but i mean that's it right outside of that <laughs> um then we uh we we felt like the biggest deficiency people have in, is overcoming their kitchen like nobody taught them how to cook and you know that's and that's a it's a big hurdle right because then if you don't know how to prepare food you got to go out all the time. And now you're at the discretion of, you know, the restaurant and the people preparing there and stuff. So you have to learn how to take over your kitchen. Your kitchen is your medicine cabinet, your refrigerator, everything that's, that's your medicine cabinet, you know, that's your medicine room. So we teach people how to make um, really delicious, raw and vegan foods, but we don't ask people to be strictly raw or vegan. You get to be what you want to be. I've, I've explored all the diets out there. I've, I was vegan for over four years. Ultimately, it didn't really work for me, but that doesn't mean I can't practice vegan days most every week. Like I'll have most of my days, I won't eat meat, but I do need to eat meat, especially with my workload right now, small amounts, one or two times, so I can make sure that it was consciously raised. I can make sure I'm supporting people who are doing the right things. I'll never eat CAFO meat, you know, the confined animal feed light. There's no integrity in that. It's just dark energy in there. There's disease in there. I'm not eating that. Um and you can give gratitude for the animal. You know, I mean, I, we're going to be raising our own animals at some point pretty soon. And I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I want to participate in the decision to end an animal's life so I can have the appreciation for the sacrifice that they're making. This is the big problem with most meat eaters. They're eating crap quality meat, but there's no appreciation for what the animal went through to provide that sustenance. For them, you know, there's no stopping for a second to say give some gratitude and thanks, you know, before you eat. To, I mean, there was a time when we prayed over our food because it was like I realize I may not have this all the time, but because now food is so readily accessible, people are like it's just an afterthought, and that's a terrible relationship to develop with food. Um, you know, after that we get into actually something very interesting. A lot of people don't consider oxygen a nutrient and as, as nutrition. That's ridiculous, <laughs> you know, see how long you can hold your breath and live, right? So we teach people, um, we teach all of our students about um, in, uh, energy, about meditation. We take uh, students through a um, development of a meditative practice. And for some students, you know, there uh, we have a lot of um, deeply faith-bound people and we respect that entirely. Like uh, what I love about Ehi is there's, it's diverse. I mean, you want to talk? Mm-hmm. we don't even, at, we don't even talk about diversity because it's just a matter of fact there. So some folks are like, well, I prefer to call it prayer. I go, great, call it prayer, you know, and, and pray during that time you do what you have to do. But the whole point is to enter into this relationship with yourself and your higher power, you know, by whatever name that you associate that higher power with. Um, and, and what it does is at it, it, we teach what's happening within the body. When you're doing that, how you're engaging the parasympathetic nervous system. Then we take it up to the next level, and we get into um, sixteen principles of eating healthy uh, in our next course. Then after that, it's the big doozy. It's we go through every system of the body and apply that cycle of influencing energy, uh, the, the emotion, anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, energetics back to emotion concept with research, and we show you how to heal every system of the body. You know, we share what we have uh, with that then we get into the use of supplements. I mean, people, a lot of people choose the right supplements and then don't dose them correctly and, mm. you know, and things. So we, we cut through that. Uh, and then we get into a course that I really like because it, it's about developing a beautiful relationship with mother earth. It's about understanding how what you do and the choices you make um, can either be healing or harmful to mother earth that we have this power to heal mother earth just in the choices. Every dollar spent is a vote cast kind of concept. But uh, we we've brought in uh, Robin wall Kimmerer's uh, book um, uh, with that. And it's just, it, it, we, we love to pay homage to indigenous cultures um, throughout. Um, and we do it in the way that I believe it should be done without creating subsequent guilt. Like in this country, there's a lot of uh, white people who want to feel guilty for things that they never did. And it's just like, why would you ever feel guilty for something an ancestor did? I'm not going to spend a split second of my life being feeling guilty. Cause one of my ancestors might've done something that I don't agree with. You know, it's ridiculous. So we teach the beauty and the joy of other cultures. It's not cultural appropriation. It's cultural sharing, which is what we're supposed to all be doing you, you like, Hey, I like the way they do that. That's pretty cool. I like, I, I like. we did a whole lecture on just um, blessings, you know, and different because every culture has sayings that just are blessings from Shalom to Namaste, you know, um, to assalamu Alaikum to, you know, may peace be with you, you know, and mm-hmm. it's all the same thing. We're blessing each other. And it's like, there's an energy and a magic with that, you know, and it's important for us not to let that, fade away you know into the darkness like let's bring that back out and then after that we get people ready for practice we show them how to do full health histories and follow-ups and get them ready to 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 go like now you've you've helped yourself now let's teach you how to help others Mm. Um, and then we have a business course and and the cool part about it all every thursday we teach a um, master class and graduates and um uh, current students and prospective students are all welcome to the masterclass. One of my fun things I get to do where it's typically not COVID, you know, and it's like, <laughs> oh my God, thank you. I get an hour of my week where I don't have to talk about this stupid man-made bioweapon, you know, it's, mm. that's just ugly. But the, the intent of it, Chantal, is, um, again, give people a sacred space they can come into where they can explore the best version of themselves where they can learn how to love themselves as they are improving their health. My, my big thing, because I went, when I went to medical school um, naturopathic medical school, most people who graduated graduated in a worse state of health than they started. And I thought that's a huge mm-hmm. failing of the education. So um, what we do is we make sure every student graduates healthier than when they began. And that's, we do that by you can't learn this medicine without experiencing this medicine so it it becomes a part of you you know for the rest of your life and once something becomes a part of you nothing no one can ever take that away
0: no if it clicks it stays with you it's part of you and so yeah um it's so funny you said um it's true a lot of doctors do graduate worse and then when with it start um i i was lucky i had one doctor in london my gp who um who actually was really uh you know healthy and fit and he graduated as a naturopathic doctor after doing, uh, becoming an MD. So he had a very holistic approach to everything and he had to leave the NHS, which is the, um, the, the social, uh, system of healthcare because they were yelling at him because he was spending too much time with the client, too, with the patient. So instead of five minutes, he was spending like 20, 30 minutes. I was going in there and we had long chats and then, um, uh, he was you know prescribing um alternative things so it's like oh, try homeopathy try acupuncture uh, and right. he was like uh, why you're not prescribing antibiotics like for everything and he right. had to leave he had to go into private pra- practice and actually um he also moved here to portugal so he's about two hours away from us but he was like i need to live in the countryside and he decided to drop his md and it's like i'm just gonna take a break and for now i'm gonna just be a farmer And a builder and a woodworker, and I need a break from anything that is institutionalized because they drove me crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I I understand him. It will. Yeah,
1: he's he's right on. It's it's a place a lot of us get to, especially when in the in the MD world, you know, where it's like, you know, the the sad thing I have the sad thing for a lot of MDs is they just don't see people getting better.
2: Mm.
1: You know, they see people slowly degrading. They're adding more medications on, you know, with the COVID situation, all they're seeing with the protocols they're using are are people dying, Um, you know, and and it's like, I feel for them because it's like, you're not practicing medicine. You're practicing sick care Mm -hmm. uh, and for-profit sick care, you know, and they get you locked into a system where you have to pay for your license. You have to pay for your insurance. You have to pay for your house. You have to pay for your family. Well, now you're locked into all these bills you don't have freedom of choice anymore to practice and if you don't follow the protocols you get censured you get your license taken away you get and it doesn't and they're not asking the fundamental question they're not, they're not saying hey you tried something different and it didn't work that's why we're we're calling you out and challenging your license there they don't care about that they care that you just did something different and i'm sure when he was doing something different it was working People, and because, and what, when things work, you know, I tell all my patients, my job and first, first visit, my job is to become obsolete in your life. The word doctor comes from the Latin root docere, It means to teach. Mm. My job is to teach you how to take care of yourself. I'm going to use this opportunity, which is a disease process to do so, so that you don't need me before. I'll be here if you need me again, but if I've really done a good job and you have done a good job of being a student and employing what you're learning, then I'm really gonna be in a not needed position. And that's a scary place for the pharmaceutical industry and these hospitals and all this stuff and public health, because what what happens when they're not needed? There's no money, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I say sickness is slavery, but health is freedom.
0: Absolutely. And uh, you're so right. He actually said the people that got better with him are only the people that left um, the session with him, left their consultation and went and researched and then came back with questions. And then they took it upon themselves to change things and asked him what he thought. But they actually became their own healers. You know, they did the work because, but he also says a lot of people just come in and they want a pill and they really don't want to do anything about it. And, um, and you know, you, at the beginning you said there is this wedge, this distance between the doctor and the patients that the system right. has created. And um, right. they, they actually really educate, in brackets, educate the doctors to have that in place. Because a lot of doctors don't like to be challenged with questions at all. So if you go in and you are well-educated <laughs> and, you are, and you say, look, I've, I've read this, they're like, oh, that's not scientific. Like they really will dismiss it. And you're like, right. are, are you joking? Like, this is actually in the Journal of Medicine, by the way. Like, no, I'm not making it up, you know. Um,
2: right, right. And
0: it's, it, you can't even have conversations sometimes with the doctor. And that's the sad part. Because it's like, can we just put pride aside and just think that we are on the same boat here? We all want to be healthy. You want to heal me. I want to heal me. <laughs> can we just work together? And some they just make it impossible sometimes to be so with all the reasons that you mentioned, you know, they are afraid of losing their license. They are afraid of being different. But a lot of times it's also complacency. And I think that is what perhaps injures people more than, um, than the disease itself, you know?
1: Right. Well, you, you're, you're speaking my language. I'm doing cartwheels in my head right now going, yes, <laughs> you, you, you get it. Listen, doctor means teacher. It's why they changed the languaging to healthcare provider. Mm. So that they don't have to teach. All right. It's why they changed the name to physician. So they don't have to teach. Because if I teach, I empower. And if I empower, I create independence. And if I create independence, it hurts profitability. Yeah.
2: It always okay?
1: goes
0: back to follow the money. Follow the money.
1: It follows it's always the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. We 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 have this saying in at eHi a healer is a person who selflessly facilitates healing in others while knowing the only person they can really heal is themselves.
2: Mm.
1: This is our role. We, we're, we're here to be custodians of health, to be teachers and, and impart our experiences, our expertise, and you know, our accumulated knowledge base and wisdom to people. And, and then you step back and you get out of the way and you see what happens. These people walking around in the white coats now, and not all of them by any stretch, there's a mm. lot of great people. That are MDs, um, and there are a lot of great practitioners as MDs, where they've figured some things out within, you know, with all the challenges that their paradigm presents.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All those people have the same thing in common: they have care. They care about people. Like mm-hmm. that's the number one, not common denominator among all of us. I think when you look at this situation, you know, with with the white coats and everything, that I don't like is you, those are the white coats that bring ego. Into it, And they bring their emotions like this person is scared and suffering, but you're bringing your ego into this. They have to cater to your emotional state. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. You know, this is this is ridiculous. You know that that um, you have to do what I say or I'm going to kick you out of my practice. I mean, I understand booting a person who's being hostile to you or your staff out of your practice, but a person who's bringing research in and asking you valid questions and but you don't know what you're talking about. See, the biggest mistake so many doctors make is they create an aura of "I know everything." The mm. ego, mm. right? And this is this is the God complex they have, right? And this is why I get to decide when you leave the hospital. I get to decide what kind of therapies. I get to do whatever I want to do because I'm God and I am omnipotent. It's the most preposterous blasphemy on every possible level. When you see doctors doing that, the telltale sign is that when you bring information to them, they're not receptive. When you bring questions to them, they are um, obstinate about it. You know, they they get pretty confrontational in some cases with it. I've had to check some doctors, um, you know, being coming in as a, a family advocate to talk with them, and they start, you know, and we start talking, and they're like, "Well, I've had doctors ask me, who the hell are you?'" And I'm like, "I'm somebody who cares. Who the hell are you?" You know, I'm somebody who's informed. Who the hell are you? I'm somebody that does my homework and doesn't step into a situation and think I know everything. Who the hell are you? Right. I'm here that somebody on behalf of the family, because the goal isn't me and you having an argument. The goal is this person getting better. Who the hell are you? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's where, you know, you have to, in this day and age, unfortunately, have some toughness with you. With what you do you know and that's why i say i'm unapologetically positive i'm unapologetically loving i'm unapologetically caring i'm unapologetically loud when i need to be mm-hmm. you know um, and that hurts some people's feelings but i'm like you your feelings shouldn't have been here in the first place the only feelings that should have been here is the care and concern for the person that we're working with if we're really about what we think we're about so if you're not on that level you know, if that's not the intention you bring into this situation, you're already discer- you're already being a disservice to your patient and to their family because it's not just that patient; it's everybody that's connected to that person too. That you're, you know, this is why we get woven into the fabric of each other's lives. Mm-hmm. My job is to do a good job, <laughs> and that means I got to remove my ego, if there is one, from the situation because nobody—that's not a part of the healing equation. Part of the healing equation is problem solving. is seeing what the mechanism of actions are that are going on and developing treatment plans that not only you feel will work, but that the person can afford and do, right? Because there's so many factors that go into this. But when you bring a, um, a good heart into these situations, you, you can get to those places you need to get to with people. And if people, when people feel like they are genuinely cared for, Something miraculous happens. They they do want to do what you're recommending because you spent that extra time with them that they're not accustomed to. There's no way to take a case history in five minutes. There's no way to evaluate a person and their health in five minutes. It's ridiculous, you know. A good doctor, in my opinion should be seeing a maximum of, I mean, if it was all follow-up visits, 10 patients in a day, you know, you could probably do about 10 follow-up visits for everybody. But if you're talking about new patients coming in, you're talking about three new patients. I mean, mm. that's, that's really legitimately about six hours of work right there, mm. you know? So we've got, we, we've let them get this into a whole manufacturing war casualty you know, some people are gonna die, mentality. And what it's gotten us very far away from is the nascent idea of what medicine is at its highest potential, and that is to first do no harm. Mm. I took an oath, an oath, and some it blows me away how many people take oaths and never take them seriously, like break, break them. An oath is a sacred vow, it's an eternal sacred vow vow it's something It is the exact thing to take very seriously right i took an oath to do no harm Absolutely. i'm going to stand by that oath and everything that i do is especially patient care because when you take an oath you're taking an oath before god it's done before your profession or whatever but it's really a sacred oath before god are you telling me you're okay with letting God down? I'm not. God <laughs> never let me down, right? So I gotta, I gotta do my part here. You want to do your part? Be a good person that cares. Be listened to, person. Do you know how much? You know when the medicine really starts, Chantel? When you're working with someone, you know when the medicine really starts when you sit down and listen to them because they've never been listened to before. Mm. And when they start talking and, f- and know that you're really listening, you're not listening just to hear them, but you're listening to understand them and understand what's going on, figure out well where there's some questions that I have. I'm curious, right? I'm really, every doctor is supposed to be super nosy, right? <laughs> We're yeah. investigators. When a person feels like you really care, something happens in their nervous system. They shift into parasympathetic rest and digest mode. Mm-hmm. So technically Physiologically and biochemically, you have, are administering medicine by just listening to someone with a compassionate heart. Yeah. You know, you've already started the healing process. And when, once that happens, you know, and people feel listened to, something else gets a lot easier. Compliance. I I can't, I bristle at that word when people, I can't, my patients won't comply. It's because you suck at talking to them. It's (laughs) because you suck at listening to them. It's because your plan sucks. You know, that's why they're not complying. They're not complying because they're jerks. They're not complying because it's not working and they weren't cared for. People will forget what you tell them, but they'll never forget how you make them feel. Mm. Right. And if you make them feel valued and loved, my experience over the last two plus decades of working with people is they will be loyal to you like nothing else, and they'll give you some of the most incredible experience. I just got to, somebody one of my one of my students, one of the graduates, just sent me um, just sent me a uh, a gift out of the blue, right? I haven't I hadn't talked to her in a long while, right? I just got this amazing gift. It's this little um, cube, uh, not cube, but it's because it's got like forty sides to it. But with all these uh, words in Hawaiian, you know, oh. that and, and the translation below them. Right. And and uh, and she sent me a little tincture that she made uh, to some some heart tonic and everything. And it's like, this is somebody that just had a positive thought about me because of some interaction. We, people will never forget the way you make them feel. And, I'm, and I got this and the first word on it that of all the words of, that I could have pulled up when I took it out of the wrapping was aloha. Now you tell me that that's an accident, right?
0: Nothing is an accident.
1: There are no such thing, right? No such thing,
0: right? Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, wow. Well, you know, I, um, the other thing about you is that you you back everything you say with facts and numbers. And I think this is when your experience of, of data analysis really comes in handy. So maybe we'll shift a little bit into your extracurricular <laughs> <laughs> work that has become your full-time job. <laughs> uh,
1: my full-time volunteer work that I'm doing now, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, American on American Out Loud, um, you have a program. You have a uh, what? Well, you have articles in your podcast, which is brilliant, with a lot of other amazing speakers. Even Dr. McCullough is on there, which is really cool because um you know he he really holds his ground um, in the medical field as an MD and. And yet, he's really much on the same page as you. He's like, uh, this is not right. This doesn't make sense. And you both look at data in a very profound way. But you, especially, have been really working uh, tirelessly to also make this data get to government level to make them see it. So, um, take me a little bit about how this started for you uh, a couple of years ago. What prompted you to actually start doing this?
1: Well, my my first foray into Um, The issue of vaccines was when I was uh, really 13, 14, I I think I got MMR. I don't remember exactly which one it was, but I went into acute renal failure and uh, I almost died. And the thing that was crazy was I ended up losing, I was a skinny dude and short, a small dude. And um, I ended up losing like 25 pounds in that week, Um, had a fever. I had a fever the whole week of over 108 um, my parents would pack me in ice in the bathtub, um, because every day my father would literally carry me to, um, Kaiser Permanente and they would not admit me. They wouldn't even see me some days. They just told them there's nothing they can do and the best and just take him home. Right. Um, and I'm so, you know, you start, right. You start having those experiences. You're like, okay, this, these, I, I, I want nothing to do with this, you know? Now, what I will give them their credit on is if you're in an emergency situation like trauma, they're really great at saving Mm. life, right? Mm -hmm. You give them their due. But when it comes to compassion, when it comes to chronic care and recovery, terrible, right? And a lot of that has to do with Um, most MDs get on average, according to the national Academy of sciences, 19.6 hours of nutrition education. And so that's akin to like a weekend workshop over, over their whole things. They just, they don't know nutrition. So any MD who's talking nutrition without other training, I, I really, I tell them to shut up, you know, (laughs) and there's a couple who've been out there and I'm like, listen, you don't hear me barking about all the pharmaceuticals that I don't use acting like I know them. So don't start barking about all the nutrients and and foods that you don't know about, just shut up, stay in your lane. All right. Um, because you're not qualified. I I've, I have over well over 20,000 hours of education and nutrition and clinical experience. So shut up. You know what I mean? You just have to tell people to shut up sometimes and be like, look, I'm being respectful, but respectfully shut up. Um, so when, when we get into these, um, into these situations, You know, it's important. um, It's just, it's really important for us to, to understand that, um, you know, we want people to speak about what they have knowledge on. Mm. It would be, it, it would lack integrity for me to speak about brain surgery. I've never operated on someone and act like I know. Right. And I think that takes us back into this other thing we were talking about previously. What's wrong with saying you just don't know? You know, what's wrong with telling some, I don't know. I know a lot of stuff, but I just don't know. So um, when we got into this, it was, you know, first I'm injured. That's why I wear these glasses because I, you know, I can, fl- the screen can flip me into a seizure if I don't have these, these on people are like, people think I'm trying to make some kind of fashion statement or something. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'm wearing the same clothes I've been wearing the last six years. Okay. Give me out of, you know, my, you know, give me a break. But then like many people um, had, a, I was having, having, can have a son. So we start asking that question again of, okay, childhood vaccination, what, what's right? And so I started doing, I did a whole, when I was in medical school, I did a whole paper on the hep B vaccine. And what was alarming to me, Chantel was, uh, one of my big questions was of the people who got the shot, how many of them still contracted hep B anyway, right? So surveillance reporting, it wasn't readily available. And I you know went and went, scoured the CDC for it. You couldn't find it, you could find, Occasional surveillance reporting on like um, uh, on several other vaccines and the surveillance reporting was terrible. It was like 80 percent failure rates, you know, and you're just like, what is what am I looking at right now? How, how are they able to say safe and effective? Mm-hmm. And then you get into the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. The, in the United States, it's 42 U.S.C. 300 AA A um, code. And you go, it's right there. They tell you, it by law, you have to say that it is safe and effective. Oh, and by also, by the way, dash eleven and dash twenty-two clause says that the vaccine manufacturer can't be sued, mm-hmm. right? Well, fantastic—that's the way to stand by your product, right? Mm-hmm. Way to have some integrity and stand by your product. So, uh, you know, learning all that before my son was born, it became very clear: the decision was, he is not going to be vaccinated. Period. This is crap. He's not doing needles and drugs. He's not a, a night walker out there. You know, hep B is his mother doesn't have hep B. I don't have hep B. This is ridiculous. Um, and, you know, so we made a birth plan up and and my, my wife at the time wanted to go and, and birth in the hospital. She felt safest there. So I wanted to support her. We go into the hospital and even though we had given the birth plan, my son is born and I go over to his mother to, you know, to see how she's doing. And I turn around, there's already a needle in my son. I almost lost it. I almost, I I really almost, because the nurse, of course, knows better. They're playing God. And luckily, I mean, I don't really, I don't advocate for this, you know, it was a vitamin K shot, which is, you know, of the things that could be injurious is the least likely, but still I didn't want that even, Mm. In my son, and she had four other shots, like lined up right after them. And I was just like, he just came out of the womb. Shouldn't yeah. we be putting him immediately on his mother's body? So he stays in contact with mom. You don't even need to cut the umbilical cord. He needs to start nursing because the colostrum there's, we got 10 days to get this colostrum into his body. There isn't a moment to lose, yeah. you know, from there, you know, let alone the the connection and the, and the security and the assurance that we need to create um there. So, uh you know, luckily it was just vitamin K and uh you know, you go a little bit further and, and, you know, you start, we moved to California and then the Senate bill came up for, you know, mandatory stuff. And I was just like, we got, we got to move out of here. You know, we got to get out of here. So we, we left there, but um, at that time, right before we left, I had just together with a a good friend of mine, Brittany Cara, who's in the uh, health freedom movement, um, a course on vaccine education. Because we went to UCLA, we went to Stanford, we went to um, Harvard. There is no coursework required for vaccine education in any major, in any medical institution anywhere. And it was very shocking. It's like, you want to know why they can't diagnose it adverse reaction? Because there's no coursework for it. You want to know why they, they um, say safe and effective blindly because they've never had to read the the inserts. Mm. You, they've never had to research vars They've never had to talk to the parents of a of vaccine-injured family. They've never done anything that has integrity with it. They just say, you know, and that's why they've reduced it even now to where pharmacists can give these stupid things. They, they're definitely not qualified, mm. you know? So- So when you, when you look at this, it's like, there's no educational. So we developed this educational course based on all CDC and FDA and pharmaceutical stuff. Mm. And it's, it's all incriminating. The first thing we teach people in this course, um, and we're offering it again this year, I forget when it's a little bit later this year, but um, at the energetic health Institute. Uh, But uh, the first thing we teach is the vaccine media and excipient summary. (laughs) What's in the damn shots. Mm -hmm. You know, and you start reading what's in there and you see mutagens and carcinogens and, and uh, neurotoxins and aborted human fetal tissue and, and, and blood, you know. <laughs> and you start looking at this and you're like, and so I, 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 what I talk to parents about is I say, listen, it's your decision 100%. I'm not here to influence or anything. I'm here to inform, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I have, I have to ask you an honest question. If we were to take all those ingredients and put them on a spoon, would you let your baby drink? those ingredients. And every one of them was like, Oh, no, I would never do that. Well, Why do you think it's magically safe than to put it in a syringe and inject it in the baby? How has it become safer through that? It's still going into their body. You know, this is, where's the logic in this, right? And the thing that has always bothered me about the administration of vaccines, not only is the injuries and the ingredients, but there's no immediate follow-up testing to confirm that there has been an immunological response mm. to it. If you really want to know if these are working or not, you test the body a couple of weeks later to see if, you know, the B you cells, the antibodies? the antibodies. Yeah. Do you have antibodies? And has there been any T cell? Because then you can say, okay, well, now the immune system converted. See that the thought that really irks me about vaccines is people think they confer immunity. Mm. They do not confer immunity none of them
2: mm-hmm.
1: what they do is confer an artificial infection an artificial challenge to the body that the immune system responds to mm-hmm. what confers immunity is the immune system right mm-hmm. so so then we fast forward a little bit more and you know now we're we're knowing some stuff is brewing right you can start seeing it in a years leading up to COVID, you know, they were changing certain laws, they changed the definition of what a pandemic is, they installed the US Cures Act that allows them to bypass and put something out that's still in clinical trial for mass distribution, you could start seeing the setup to this. Mm. So we we were paying close attention during event 201 in October of 2019. That was like, that's that's not a hey. Let's see if we can do this. That's a final test to to, to push the go button. Let's call this what it is. It's a it, this was planned, right? You don't you don't put that much money and investment in to have something and say yeah. Well, maybe if we ever need to use it, it'll be nice. No, and they didn't. They used it immediately as soon as that test confirmed that they were all systems were go. It was coordinate with with China and release the weapon, right? And what's so fascinating is how many people immediately just accepted that oh it's got to be a a, it's got to be a wet market right come on people that's not there's no such thing as rapid evolution that's not how anything works that's ridiculous if we're in that if that's a reality now we are we
0: we would be dead
1: (laughs) we're done right we there's no chance you're talking right so you know you see that and um and uh, on March, so I, I, we see all that coming. And then so on March 12th, uh, 2020, I said, okay, I'm all in this. I've been preparing for this for years. I'm all in. And what I started doing was tracking all the data in the countries that were ahead of us, you know, Italy, South Korea, China, countries where you could get data and it was ahead of us. And we started building curves. We started seeing because uh, I wanted to see what's the rise and fall for new cases, for new hospitalizations per day and new, and new deaths. You know, you want to see what these three curves look like. Mm-hmm. Chinese data, you could tell right away it was fraudulent. It was just like, please, this is this is a joke, right? Um, there, so it takes me back to my data analysis days, right? Mm-hmm. A data analyst days. And you know, and then you look at the Italian data, and the Italian data was pristine. It's like, okay, I can see a clear curve here. This is this has integrity, you know, this is what we can expect. And Italy was about two, two weeks ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And so we saw the same things forming in the United States, except for one thing that was a little different. The area, the the space between the U.S. new cases and the U.S. new hospitalizations was huge, which told us that most people who are contracting this are not needing medical care. That's a good thing,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right? Okay, they don't need to be hospitalized. That's fantastic. This is just a... Uh, in fact it's a it's a mild (laughs) bioweapon it's (laughs) it's a mild bioweapon so but then on april 14th we saw something that really disturbed us the united states curve was going down as it was in italy you know and uh, following along the same length of time it was going down then it stopped and it went and we had a secondary rise that far exceeded the initial rise we hadn't seen this anywhere And so I go, that's not passing the smell test, right? So we started looking at how the CDC was collecting this data. Mm. And what we found was they had um, adopted a position paper from a little-known nonprofit called the Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologists. And what that position paper said was that you could cough one time and be counted as covid that's all it took. And then what it also said, and this was really mm-hmm. disturbing because if you think back to the start of this, people were getting multiple tests every day because they were trying to get back to work. They were trying yeah. to get a negative test to go back to work. You needed one negative test to go back to work, right? Well, what it, there is a section 7B in this position statement and it said, um, how to, it's basically boiled down to how do we make sure we don't count the same person multiple times, right? Mm-hmm. And it said explicitly not applicable until more virologic data is available.
0: So they were counting people more than once.
1: Well, I was like, you don't need to, you don't need any data to in- erect a system so you make sure you don't count the same person twice. You get the person's driver's license, the person's social security and their date of birth. And now every time they test, you have a database that shows, okay, they tested here on this day, this day, this day, this day. Now you can have some, some integrity to the data because mm-hmm. if they take seven tests and six of them are positive, without that, that's six new cases.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Right, so now you're, that's fraud, right? Now you're lying about the numbers, but they wanted that because now it looks like it's, it's worsening, mm. you got it. And now you can justify the removal of, of inalienable rights from the people, the constitutionally protected rights in this country. So um, you know, we started seeing that, and and we alerted a bunch of uh, elected officials and um, and the CDC because we're like, this is a problem, and nobody got back to us. I was like, whoa, okay, hold on. We looked a little further into that paper, and guess what? The CDC provided subject matter experts for that paper. (laughs) The CDC wanted it to be, and I was like, that's really odd. The CDC should be able to create this position statement themselves. Why would they do that? So we started asking more questions. And what we found out was that the CDC violated three important federal laws. That's why they tried to go and do a backdoor on this. The CDC as a federal agency is required to report any changes to any data collection, no matter how small they have to report to the federal register. And what it does is it initiates oversight by another body called the Office of Management and Budget. And it also opens up mandatory public comment periods. By doing it the way that they did in violation of federal law, they could adopt and not have any oversight and have no public comment on it. Hmm. And that allows them to maintain full control of data collection, data definition, and data aggregation and publication. It allowed them to publish fraudulent data. So we then went and looked at death certificates because I was like, something ain't right there. We found a little thing that the CDC published called COVID alert number two. And what COVID alert number two showed was that all comorbidities were to be removed from cause of death and put in a different category contributing factor to death. (laughs) So this takes on huge precedence because the highest risk group has multiple comorbidities. But if you remove comorbidity as a cause of death in these people, what it allows for you to do is say that COVID is the cause of death. Mm -hmm. When COVID isn't the cause, COVID is an initiating factor maybe, but it's not a cause. Cause has always been the oldest known comorbidity for mm. data aggregation.
0: Yeah, and their peer immune system, really.
1: Right, right. So, so now what we're seeing is fraud, fraud, fraud in data. Mm. And that it starts explaining everything. So we start alerting. we, we actually published a number of papers on it. And then um, we actually published a peer reviewed paper. A peer reviewed paper went through two months of peer review, huge, super long. Cause they wanted to make sure everyone was like, we want to got to make sure this is right. This is, this is big, right? Mm-hmm. Went through nine attorneys reviewing it and a judge even in addition to peer review, gets published, gets picked up by USA Today and they try to trash it, of course, they couldn't. And we used that as a springboard to author a grand jury petition And we sent the request for a grand jury investigation into what we had found to every U.S. attorney in the country. I paid for it myself, thousands and thousands of dollars to do all this, right? And on top of the, Mm -hmm. when people say I'm a volunteer, I pay to do this. I I haven't made a penny off of COVID. I pay to be in this fight, right? Um, We got zero response from, we didn't get a response from even one U.S. attorney. Not one got back to us on it. So then we got in touch with some senators in 2021 who said, hey, we're going to champion this. And uh, Senator Dennis Lenticub and Senator Kim Thatcher from uh, Oregon State Senators, they're awesome people, right? Mm. They sent a, we resubmitted it to the U.S. attorney here in Oregon, and he confirmed its receipt. And rather than give it to the grand jury, like he's supposed to, the information, he sent it to the Department of Justice at the federal level. And the Department of Justice basically got back to the att- to the senator saying, uh, "If you think there are crimes here, you need to tell the FBI." Well, the funny part is that's the DOJ's job
2: yeah. to
1: tell the FBI. So what we're seeing is just massive. What we're seeing is is massive, massive, um, you know, fraud and corruption. And the two word, the two phrases we, an addition to fraud, the phrase that we're getting everyone educated on is willful misconduct
2: yeah.
1: it's because you knew this was all wrong and you did it anyway anyway yeah you did so you know you, you couple that with the ref, the refusal of early treatment you couple that uh withholding evidence-based treatments for from people in need you know everything that dr mccullough has been talking about and so many others and you see that this is not only planned when you look at the timelines of everything you know, we can talk about the RAT G13 sample entered by Peter Daszak into the Gen Bank. And I mean, there's so much about this. There's, I mean, come on, this is, it's it's a joke at this point. But I, th- I think when you look at all this, you know, my job was to stay on top of all the data we oh, have. Um, you're going to hear some doggies going a little crazy, I think, okay. in the background. Uh, you know, uh, now in terms of data aggregation, I focus mainly on one thing, Chantel. I focus on, um, uh, COVID breakthrough cases, the number of times it's failed. I also focus on bears data. I, I, I update that on a weekly basis, but what we're seeing is long and short of it is we have confirmation that these products have failed to protect over 9 million people in the United States alone. We have confirmation that that has, is a 7.5 million increase in just the last three months. And we have confirmation that that's with only 26 out of 51 state health departments reporting in, we count Washington, DC among them. So there's all, there's all there's, there's, it. in my opinion, you know, my estimates, there's at least 18 million confirmed cases right now. There should be. And that's with all these crazy rules, the CDC puts in, you have to be fully vaccinated 14 days after you, the cycle threshold value on a PCR can't be above 28 stuff like that. Right. Mm. Um, we have on our right now. We have to stop for a second and just think about this. Simply, there's a product on the market that's still in clinical trials. All of them, clinical mm-hmm. trials are ongoing. That has it. That is experimental by definition. Has failed to protect at least 18 million people from the infection, uh, almost 200,000 people from hospitalization, and over 42,000 people from death of what we know of. And that's with only, that's only with like basically about half of people um, reporting. I should say 9 million, almost 200,000 and 42,000 people have died uh, because that's what we can confirm because we know that, right?
2: Mm.
1: That's a terrible efficacy record.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. That's a, that, that is horrific. That's that's Your product sucks. It doesn't work.
0: I mean, right. there were products that were taken off for much less than that.
1: Much less than that. Okay. But then we look at the safety signals in VAERS. We know varus is dramatically underreported by at least five times, by at least a factor of five. Mm. We know there's 1.1 million confirmed injuries. We know there is, oh, on, let, me, let me read off this stuff right now. Let me pull this one up. Where are we here? Where's my Veras stuff? Um, I have not updated from last week, but um, so this is through February 11th. Uh, there've been over 130 hospitals, 30,000 hospitalizations post inoculation. There've been over 27,000 life-threatening situations. There's been over 43,000 permanent injuries, 23,000, and now it's over 24,000, um, deaths post inoculation and over 7,000 deaths Chantel within 48 hours post inoculation. All oh. right. Within two days of getting the shot over seven we've never had a product stay on the market with that track record for safety, Mm -hmm. nothing even close, Mm -hmm. but this is okay. This is what everybody's saying. And you have people like me coming out and saying, this is not okay. And I think that is going to grow. We see it growing every day. Thank God for the truckers, the convoys that are out there bringing awareness to these issues. Thank God for the mama bears out there. Mm. You know, I, I do this for all the mama bears, especially mama bears who do have vaccine injured kids. And, um, you know, I, when I had a student come in, her name was Robin Stavola. Oh,
0: my gosh. She, she, you know, I Robin know Stavola? Her. Of course I know her. She's very, very okay. active on Instagram.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Robin is awesome. <laughs> yeah, right? is. Super awesome. Her, her, her baby, Holly Stavola, was killed by by a vaccine, you know, and you start having those experiences and you talk to these moms, especially about their experiences um, and you can't be the same person. If you have any semblance of a heart, you can't be the same person after healing, hearing the story of Holly Stavola or hearing the story of Simone Scott or hearing the story of Ernesto Ramirez Jr you can't be uh, hearing the story of Maddie DeGary, you know, you, you can't be the same person if you have a heart. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what this comes down to for me is, you know, I track all the data and I support a bunch of legal teams and we're working with elected officials and we have filed our grand jury um, petition to the federal courts. I'm, I'm not stopping on this. There is no, there is no, point where you go, oh, I can let up off the throttle. No, it's got to be full throttle because we have to get to the resolution of this and the termination of these mRNA platforms um, as fast as possible. These are not vaccines, they are gene therapy. We just had a report, a a study come out showing that they have a reverse transcriptase capability so they can indeed upload into the DNA and, and become a part of you. Um, So that now people that have gotten these have the potential to be producing a spike protein we know to be injurious to the human body for the rest of their lives, Mm -hmm. right? This is our worst nightmare. This is what the CDC and Pfizer and, and Moderna said and NIAID could not happen, right? But it's happening. So you lied to us again. And this is exactly why we should never allow companies to police themselves everything has to be transparent and if you mess up you need to pay up right because that's the only checks and balances we the people have against these companies if we can get them to pay through the nose then they'll start producing a product of higher quality and integrity and safety you know but as long as they can hide behind their civil immunity and nobody can touch them you know, our children are going to be sacrificial lambs. And I refuse to allow that to continue.
0: Yeah. And I think yeah. aside from children now, it's expanding to basically everybody. And, um, you know, funny story. Yep. Oh, not so funny story, but interesting story. Uh, the, um, the CEO, I used to work in, uh, in banking before I um, mm. left that behind. I didn't, like, I think very similar to your experience. I, you know, I just went into it and I'm glad I did. I learned a lot, but my passion was always health and I needed to get out. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I still kind of know people in banking and one guy that I don't particularly like, but he, um, is in private banking at JP Morgan. And, uh, one of their clients is the CEO of Moderna. And mm-hmm. now to be a private client, um, you have to have quite a few zeros in your account after a nice number. And imagine. he was talking, he was very proud to share with me at the beginning of, uh, all this that the CEO was sharing how they could cure cancer using the same technology as they're using for this shot. And I'm like, well, I mean, I know you don't understand anything about health, but can you not maybe just for a second pause and just think about the mechanics of this, right? Right. Like, right. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. That's, oh,
1: that's, that's what they want. They They, you know... <laughs> we have so we have more than enough historical evidence of people lying for profit mm-hmm. right i mean this is the this is the the oldest story ever um we have more than enough um ev- uh, historical evidence of companies cooking their own books you know on studies and things like that to justify and and pass through the the question i've always had with this is why don't we have first of all why don't we have the ingredient list yeah. of of what's in there and then why don't we have air independent verification on randomized lots of that ingredient list this is something that the only country i'm aware of that does this is japan so it's, it's not an accident that they sent back you know millions of lots a millions of uh, of of vials i should say Uh, not lots, but millions of vials back because they independently tested and said, this doesn't match what you told us was in this. These, these, these have to go back. That was a little story from 2021, little, little story from the the summer of 2021, you know, and it's like, yeah, shouldn't this be pretty standard that uh, number one, companies can't police themselves, you know, they're, especially on something of this magnitude. Um, you know, Brooke Jackson in, in Texas is doing a great job, I think, as a whistleblower and bringing to light what really goes on in these clinical trials. And then can't we, w- w- shouldn't we always insist, even the company insist on independent verification of their findings, mm-hmm. right? If we're talking about the science, the science seeks to ask questions, the science seeks to verify independently, you know? All of this is shrouded in secrecy. Pfizer doesn't want to release any of their documentation to the public. They're fighting against doing so. And the thing that I always laugh about is mandates. Tell me one thing that people really have wanted that you've ever had to mandate that they do. Yeah. People, if, you know, could you imagine somebody mandating that you buy a iPhone or a Galaxy or one of these? High, no, everybody wanted it. You just went and got it, right? Mm-hmm. Could you imagine how preposterous it would be if I said we should mandate everybody has to take five thousand IU of vitamin D every day?
0: Oh my goodness!
1: <laughs> right, that would actually work. Yeah. <laughs> but could but you enough. imagine how preposterous it would be to say if you don't have your vit if I, if I if I can't confirm that you took your vitamin D today, you can't come in this building, you can't get on <laughs> this plane, you can't s- spend Christmas with your family. Do you realize how ridiculous of a statement that is, right?
2: Yeah.
1: But it's not ridiculous for an experimental product that we've seen injure and not and fail mm. you know millions of times. Come on. Like this is when you're just like you're looking at people and you're like if you are on board with mandates. You're not an American. You certainly aren't about freedom. You know, we are, we have a fundamental disagreement that I don't know if we're going to be able to bridge the gap on, to
0: be but honest it's global global you... everywhere. Here's, oh, here. totally. Everywhere.
1: Yeah, totally. But I do want you to explain to me the logic
2: mm. Mm. of
1: what you are, what you are proposing, because I want then you to, I, I then want you to explain to me how it doesn't, get even worse from there. If you were to, if you were able to enact this, because at what point do, do, does it stop them telling us what to do? Does it stop on the fourth booster, the fifth booster, the 17th booster? Does it stop on the the next thing? Does it stop on us um, being mandated to take statins for elevated cholesterol or uh, proton pump inhibitors? Every time we have a little tummy ache, where does this stop? you know, because you're not thinking about that. All you're thinking about is the fear of, I don't want to get something that I may have already had. I don't want to get something that I have a 99.99% recovery rate. And I don't want to take responsibility for my health because we know that people who have 50 nanograms per milliliter um, in their bloodstream of vitamin D people who are nutrient dense, people who are in good uh, body mass index, people who are not Overweight or obese people who do not have multiple comorbidities have nothing to fear, even from a bioweapon. Yeah. So, um, if you're overweight, that's not my fault. I didn't shove all that food in your face, right? If you're, um, if you have multiple comorbidities of like emphysema because you smoke all the time, that's not my fault. You took the responsibility and risk on your shoulders because you wanted to enjoy that pleasure. So, you know, what we're really, the fight to me, Chantel, is there's one issue in front of us until we get it resolved. Freedom.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's it.
1: There's nothing else worth discussing, working towards or talking about until we get the, the acknowledgement that we are free. I'm not, I never gave my freedom away.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: never assigned anything that said, yeah, I agree that you all do this or voted for people that said it was okay to do this. And I never did that. Yeah. You know, I'm a seventh generation free man, you know, seven generations ago, my people were in chains,
2: yeah. right?
1: So um, no, I'm not, we're not going back there, even if it's by a different name, even if it's just on these phones and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. No, we're not doing that, you know, and it's going to take all of us holding the line on this and, and being obstinate in return. Yeah. To these fear mongers and these liars that know, yeah,
0: I, I mean, always, you know, for me, it's like, look, I, I respect anybody that wants to do whatever they want to do, but in this, amen, a choice.
2: you know, yeah. you
0: want to take it, go ahead, you you should know the risks. I pray that you're fine, but don't impose because then you are taking away something from me, and I'm not taking anything away from you. You're adding to your life because you want to, hey, it's yeah. up to you, you know, it's up on to you. you. You know, Sorry. Tom
1: Wren said something really interesting, uh, this weekend, um. He said, uh, this, all, all of this requires informed consent, right? We all agree. Hmm. And he made a really good point that there hasn't been informed consent hasn't been satisfied in one person yet because all the data is fraudulent. Exactly. exactly. So this is a massive violation of informed consent globally. And uh, I think that's why we've seen people, there's something going on because shareholders are starting to jump ship on Pfizer and Moderna. There's something happening there. Mm-hmm. So there's some insider stuff that they know about that that hasn't become public knowledge yet. And I'm very curious as to what that is. I'm, I I'm. I think it has to do with the documentations that are going to be released. You know, yeah, possibly. That the next few months are going to be very interesting. We'll probably see just a litany of litigation. I mean, we're going to be... A, litigation of what up to our necks for what the next decade plus over this, you know, if they don't blow us up, right?
0: Yeah. I mean truth always comes out. So one way or another, hey? One way Amen. or another. So let's segue to the last point. Um sure. so the future of healthcare. We talked about Ooh. everything. So what do you think the future of healthcare will look like if people really take stands or well, if not, I don't even want to talk about that. It's not going to be a pretty picture, but if they do the way that we hope they do, what do you think is going to look like?
1: You know, for us, this is a question we've been thinking about for a long time. If, uh, the future of ed- the future of healthcare starts with healthy soil.
2: Mm.
1: You know, you, you know, you clean the blood, bu- uh, clean the blood. You can heal the person. You can you can you can heal the body, you know, clean the blood, heal the body, you clean the soil you heal everybody, Mm. right? And this is where mycorrhiza and nutrient density and regenerative practices and biodynamic practices are so instrumental to the overall health and and, and really salvation of of humanity is we've, I've seen enough that we've we've proven that you can take a soil from a really horrible dead dirt state um, and make it nutrient dense and vibrant and, and ready to grow things once again. Um, and so I, I really love the work of centropic uh, agriculture down in, in Brazil, I, I forget the gentleman's name who's doing it. He's done some beautiful videos showing how you can restore we've seen some stuff in, in uh, kiss the ground, you know, documentary that's, that's beautiful. Um, we've seen um, some some great stuff in the biodynamic world, you know, and, and Rudolf Steiner, I think was a visionary in this way. Uh, And he had some very outspoken ideas about vaccines, interestingly enough, about how they're attempting to separate people from the soul, like lock, lock the soul in a prison, separate it from the connectedness, the the ecstasy of universal connectedness that's all around us. Um, So I, I think it starts there, growing healthy foods, growing foods that are nutrient dense, antioxidant rich. Um, organic, completely pesticide-free, completely GMO and crap-free. I mean, they're trying to put vaccines in, in foods now. These these I heard, right? right. You know, you, you just are like, God, could you could you just go to another planet? You know what I mean? Take all your money and take all your technology and go to another planet and good, and just leave, right? Uh, so I think it starts there, and I and I think uh, it goes a little bit further in terms of people getting themselves involved in this process of of saying, you know, I'm going to take whatever little bit of plot of land, front yard, backyard, community garden, and I'm going to learn how to grow because the more I learn how to grow, the more I enable my own freedom. You know, if you, if I know how to feed myself, then you, your control starts to diminish greatly over me. Mm. I think, uh, after, I think after that, like we talked about, it's, it's about knowing what to eat for yourself. And, and um, you know, to me, the fundamental thing, like I, I never subscribed to the absence of disease is health, right? That's nonsense. We have to really establish a working definition of what our goal is. What are we striving to? Like public health right now is striving to a zero COVID goal that's unattainable. Um, the goal of public health cannot be no one ever gets sick and no one ever dies, right? That's just, it's an goal. It's stupid. Um, so, you know, the, the future of health to me looks like community. It looks a lot like it did, I'm sure, before the Rockefellers,
2: mm-hmm. where
1: you had a doctor in your neighborhood that people could go to, where there are home visits coming up again, um, that we don't need to go to these, these big edifices of of you know sickness and 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 disease and corruption now you know that i do think there is a place for you know trauma centers you know emergency centers i i think that's a necessity and i think allopathic medicine has proven itself there like that's yeah. one thing i will give them credit for I agree. Uh, but i do think that we have to look at this differently what do we need right first engineer a little bit. Well, we need healthy food. That means we need healthy soil. We need to know what that looks like and how to grow those foods, right? Um, and so which, which, organi- which groups have figured that out? Regenerative agriculture, you know, re- regen ag and, and biodynamics. They've really figured this out, right? And so that we're not monocropping anymore mm-hmm. and we're not we don't need pests we don't need pesticides because we're we can do crop rotation but doesn't that look sound a lot like what they were doing before the industrial farming comp, uh, industry came on you know three-fourths fallow right you, you have a big plot of land and there's always one that lies fla- uh, fallow and you have animals involved in this so there's a working there's a working biosphere going on i think that's essential. Mm-hmm. I think smaller and community driven is essential. You have a doctor or doctors in your community, and maybe it's on Zoom. Maybe we can use some of the technology for that, but it's that you have people you can trust. You don't have to go to a place that believes that they're God and can tell you what to do.
0: Or oh, where you're just think, a number.
1: Exactly, right? Where there's compassion and there's care involved, right? I think that we have to have a formal uh, adoption of health uh, health freedom amendment in the United States and and throughout the world um, that there is a legit patient's bill of rights you know every organization has this but it's not codified we need to codify that and say this is the health you know there was some ambiguity in some of the stuff especially in the United States before we're going to close those ambiguities no. You have a you have the right to, to decline you are in the driver's seat it's not the public health department it's not the you know doctor it's not a governor who doesn't even have a medical degree or a president who's out to lunch it's you it's your health you have to deal with the outcome of all your decisions that means you need to be in the driver's seat for all your decisions um, I, I think that the future looks like um, private, member associations, something some of my colleagues have been advocating for a great deal. I think it's it's about, we see all of this is about a control mechanism, right? So control wants to put you in chains, whether they're physical or digital, whether they're real or invisible, it doesn't matter. They're trying to put you in chains. You have to do this to get this. Well, I pay taxes. I don't have to do that to do that. Uh, my taxes is my initiation into access to these things, not whether I took a stupid shot, mm. right? Uh, you know, I mean, people have to stop for a second, and go they didn't, it's not a health passport, right? They never called it that. They called it a vaccine passport, mm. right? So that, that has nothing to do with health. That has to do with Did you take an artificial challenge, you know, to this? Because we didn't even confirm afterwards whether you developed an immune response to it. So it has nothing to do with that. It's, it's did you comply? That's all it is. Did you obey? Did you comply? So how do you get out of needing to obey and comply by being truly independent? How can you be truly independent by knowing how to grow your own food, knowing how to care for your amazing body and, um, and demanding that your um, uh, that your, your liberty be acknowledged and respected. So to me that it's, Education is the key, you know, education on all of these topics. And then what you're left with, with that, after that education is to go do it. You know, there is no one that is going to make you free, you know, Mm -hmm. only you can do that for yourself. So it's having the courage, the God courage to do that for yourself, you know, and it's in there. And some people may not find it until they realize they're enslaved. Yeah. But I'll tell you, if you're sick, you are enslaved. You're enslaved to systems that don't care about you, profit off of you. And when you take your last breath, won't shed a tear mm. for your departure. So no, I, I, I will have nothing to do with those, those systems or and I'll have nothing to do with being in control. I'm a free man and I'm gonna live my life that way Um, until my last breath as well
0: amen love it Dr. Ely this was the best interview ever I loved it and uh, I'm so grateful you made the time I know you're super busy you are a warrior I'm really really honored thank you so so much and I will share all the details about uh, your institute I will share about your book everything on the show notes and anything that you need um, we'll put it there. If people can contribute to support your, your fight, your, um, your processes against um, the fraud, we will do it too. We'll share it. And yeah, I just want to say a massive. Thank you. Thank you so, so much.
1: It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Uh, and the, the interesting thing about this dark time is that it has connected people who live in the light together so it's an honor to meet you and an honor to meet everyone in your audience and to be of service to you all i'm I'm grateful for for these experiences and, and i mean it sincerely i am honored and privileged to be of service to everyone listening to this interview so thank you for this opportunity
2: Thank you so much Dr.
0: Ely for this amazing episode everything blew my mind this was awesome everyone I really hope that you enjoyed it and I want to thank you for being here and as always ask you
2: to please review
0: share and comment and give us the help that we need to stay on top so that we can keep on sharing information that is life-giving and life-saving I will see you